Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to episode 28 of our church's podcast in this strange, unprecedented time of COVID-19, Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third, where we are six feet apart, but face to face with the challenge and promise of Holy Scripture. I am grateful to my guest today on episode 28, Evelyn Swenson. Evelyn, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's my privilege. Evelyn, if you'd be willing, many, many people at Peace know you, but uh, perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself for those of us who don't know you as well. Would you like to give us a little little story about your life and your connection to Peace? I would like very much to do that. I, I grew up in Minnesota on a farm of German-speaking parents. Mm. My mother came from Poland, a little enclave where there were only German uh, laborers for an estate, Mm. the owner of the estate. And she emigrated when she was 20 years old. Mm. And so I have a great deal of compassion for the immigrants. Mm. And I, I constantly think of them. Mm. And for my father, who mm-hmm. was born in this country, mm-hmm. in Minnesota, and um, grew up, he grew up in the same farm, and it was homesteaded by my grandfather, by his father. Mm. So then I went to country school. In fact, I like to, uh, my parents tell me that I, they couldn't find me. I was about four and a half, five years old, wondered where I went. They looked in the grove, everywhere on the farm. Finally, they went to the country school, and there I was. Oh, my goodness. In this, uh, and I did this twice. Okay. And I could hear the children playing, and that was probably what Uh, uh, I heard. You weren't drawn to their lessons? No. (laughs) Wanted, I couldn't just play with my little brother. Oh, I see. Who was two years younger. And it was just more fun to be with a group of children. Oh, wow. And so fi- then my parents asked the teacher if it were possible for me to go to school there. Mm. And they contacted the local school board mm. for that country school. And she said yes. The school board said yes. So... I, I was in kindergarten. There was no kindergarten. I was in first grade two years. Hmm. So I say that it took me two years. But I was able to be in school, and that is when I learned English. Hmm. I did not know any English until wow. then. Okay. Because we spoke only German at mm-hmm. home, but I was unaware of that. Hmm. The church service was in German. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was the only language I heard. Mm-hmm. Then, after that, uh, we moved to town. Uh, some years later, my parents built a ha- house in Wheaton. And uh, it's the beginning of the Red River Valley. Hmm. And the, um, uh, this house is built in the 1940. And that's in, I was in sixth grade. Hmm. And we went to town school. Mm-hmm. And graduated from there and then from there I went to I wanted to be a teacher from the moment I went to school Mm. it was just my dream Mm -hmm. and my hope 
And so then I, I went to St. Olaf College mm. for the, and graduated from there. Uh, my first teaching position was in Duluth, Minnesota. Mm. I taught English and German. And by then I had met Rodney at mm. the University of Minnesota mm-hmm. in a conversation class. And it was an upper division course. It was, I was going to be a senior then at St. Olaf. And in our Get Acquainted session, I remember his saying that he was starting at the University of Minnesota. And I thought, well, how can this be when this is a course for upper division and he's just starting as Hmm. a freshman? Hmm. Well, I was totally wrong. He had already spent a year at the University of Tübingen in Germany. Uh Graduated from Bemidji State. Uh, So toward the end of the session, I discovered this. So I looked forward to my senior year at St. Olaf, Mm -hmm. but he, uh, with some other fellows, said, you know, it'd be fun to have some brownies or cookies uh, from the girls in this group. Hmm. So then I went home, of course, to get ready for my senior year. Mm -hmm. And I said to my mother, you know, maybe we'll just make some brownies. Aha. So I baked these brownies, and we sent them to, to Rodney and the fellows. God bless you. And lo and behold, he thanked me for them. Oh, good for him. Because the other fellows did. It's the least they could do. And from then <laughs> on, the story just continues. Um, uh, after, romance that starts with baking. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Chocolate, no less. Uh, yeah, that, that, that helps which grease the wheels. Yeah, yeah. Light forever. Yeah. And then uh, upon graduation, I had the position in Duluth to teach. For two, we taught, I taught two years. Mm-hmm. And my father had said, I really hope that you can teach the, for one year first. And luckily, he was, and fortunately, he was able to meet Rodney before he died. Oh, I'm glad to hear uh, that. The, uh, my first year of teaching. Mm-hmm. And then we were married in 57. Okay. Uh, Rodney was teaching then at Albion College in Albion, Michigan, Mm. which is close to Ann Arbor. And he was attending the University of Michigan. And he knew that I wanted to be a librarian. And so he went to the graduate uh, school, asked for the admission, uh, the admission forms. Yeah, an application. That's it. Uh-huh. And he said, look what I have for you. Wow. I was so thrilled, although I was teaching in ninth grade English mm-hmm. at the high, uh, high school then in Albion. And I'd always said, when I graduated from St. Olaf, I would never teach junior high. Well, I ate my words. Of course. And I loved those ninth graders. Oh, good. It's a wonderful mix of Caucasian, Appalachian, and black students. Okay. It was just such a, a gift to me. Huh. And then and for two years. And after that we moved to Minnesota. Okay. But in the meantime I was able to go to the University of Michigan uh-huh. for my master's degree in library school. That's right. You're a Wolverine. I forgot that. Yes I am. Definitely. Wow. And then from there we went to Northfield mm-hmm. and lo and behold I was uh, accepted as a librarian at, at 
Carleton College. Wonderful. So that was the eight years, and then we moved out here. Mm -hmm. uh, And when when Rodney became the chairman of the department, the language department, and accepted a position at PLU. Wonderful. And that's been our life ever since. Mm -hmm. And uh, so grateful. Our Our first church here was Christ Lutheran. Oh, wonderful. Because we were okay. renting a house in Lakewood. Okay. We moved to Puyallup, and we thought, now, we are going to go to a church in Puyallup. Okay. Um, so we visited Peace, and immediately we knew that was our church. Wonderful. And How so did we, you know? Can I ask? We knew by the, first of all, the uh, gospel. Mm. that we heard Mm. but secondly the people were so welcoming Mm -hmm. the members and uh, it it just made such a difference to us we felt right at home Mm -hmm. and we thought we we really wanted to get acquainted here Uh, it was very typical at that point to for the professors at PLU to for many of them to go to Trinity Mm. but we wanted to go to a small church and in your hometown, in where you were living. Exactly. Right, in Good. Right. So we could be a part of this, and we wanted our children to grow up in that kind of atmosphere mm-hmm. and watch them grow, mm-hmm. just as we're, I'm doing now. Yes. That we've been doing with uh, Alex, mm-hmm. Simon. Yes. It's just such That's a That's two of them. Yep. That... Really a gift to watch a child grow mm-hmm. in the church mm-hmm. and be surrounded by the gospel, but also by so many loving people. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and concerned people. That is a gift. It's also somewhat unique if you think about it. I'm trying to think of another. I'm trying to think of another voluntary public association that blends people across generations like that. And I, I can't really think of any aside from maybe neighborhood organizations or right. you know extended family. But those aren't volunteer. I mean, neighborhood is where you live, and and family is who you're born into. Uh, but, but a church is is chosen in a, in a lot of ways. Exactly, and I, you know, and I appreciate your saying that because uh, when we moved to this neighborhood, there weren't a lot of houses here, mm-hmm. but they were all young families, mm-hmm. and we definitely wanted to be where there would be grandmas and grandpas, mm-hmm. uh, aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. and an extended family because we had no family out right. here, right? Other than Rodney's aunt and cousin yes. in Seattle. Yes. And it was very important for us to have this intergenerational mm-hmm. uh, gift. That's a theme that keeps emerging for me when I talk to people about what it is that they value. And it is the sense of, of earnest or sincere connection with, with people who are outside of one's mm-hmm. immediate circle. Uh, and and that's, a, that's not something you can just establish overnight. That, no. that takes no. you know, a, a strong sense of commitment to the life of the congregation dignity for each person who's there exactly and and the the challenge of course then is not to become insular but also to be welcoming to new folks folks who come in from the outside who might be uncomfortable when they arrive in a new place how how do we how do we make sure those people feel a part of Mm -hmm. that of that community too and quickly that's true and and this has been very important for rodney and for me Mm -hmm. in trying to welcome new people Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in our home mm-hmm. or at uh, church, mm-hmm. and uh, and we definitely wanted our boys to grow up 
knowing that not everyone was young. Mm -hmm. That we have all ages. Mm. That's helpful. Yeah. Thank you. What a wonderful story. You you told a rich, long story in a very short amount of time. There's a, that's a gift. <laughs> Being able to do that. So thank you. All right. You more than well. Um, I appreciate you telling your story. I've heard your story before, but it's always fun to hear it again. So thank you. It appreciate repeats it. itself. You know, this uh, podcast was born of necessity. Uh, it, uh, it started as soon as we were all separated physically. Uh when the church building had to close in response to the pandemic. Right. Uh, and so it's only fitting that maybe we have a chance to refer to that in our conversation. I had two questions that I've been asking every guest okay. on the podcast about COVID-19 and this strange time that we find ourselves in. The first is really simply, how are you doing? How are you coping? How are you getting through? I'm, I'm really doing fine. Good. Uh, Health-wise, but... And uh, knowing that I have other, that I have my church people to think about and that they're thinking of me Mm -hmm. and uh, my prayer is for them, Mm -hmm. but it's also for me and that gives me strength Mm -hmm. and the ability to go on. Mm. Um, And it's very important that I be able to read Mm. and I do. Um, Then... I need to be outdoors. Mm. And this is where I really see the creation. Mm. And the, uh, the, the beginning of the, uh, in the spring, when our plants are coming up, mm-hmm. the flowers are blooming mm-hmm. during the summer and uh, whenever they're ready. And I, I get my energy. So I get my energy from the, the, my, my pastor, the friends that I have in the congregation, people I don't know, mm-hmm. the children that I miss mm-hmm. very much. But you still get to see them on screen? I do. Yep. And I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> so I For better or worse. Yes. They have their they have good days and bad days. That's okay. And I, and, I, <laughs> and I do too. I have some days I'm a little bit more tired. Yeah. But otherwise but my strength does come from my surroundings. Good. But I know that there is a uh, the strength also for me is prayer. Hmm. And I'm, um, this year I'm concentrating on a book that was in, in Rodney's study. It's the daily, the devotions that Bonhoeffer wrote. Hmm. And my next book is going to be <clears throat> His Life in Prison, hmm. Letters from Then, because that has to take a tremendous amount of strength. Mm-hmm. That he must have had. Yes. That's a remarkable book. Uh, letters and Papers from, from Prison is just that. It's all of the letters he, he wrote to his good friend, uh, Eberhard Betke. And uh, about everything from his budding romance mm-hmm. uh, and his desire for a pack of cigarettes or his relationship with the guards in the prison, oh. all of that relatively mundane, relatively personal, all the way to some really important theological ideas that he started mm-hmm. to, to form and shape. He even writes an outline of a, of a book that he never got a chance to write. Amazing. Because, of course, he never escaped no. from prison. 
Um, he's one of our, our great martyrs of the yeah. 20th century. But he, I, I sometimes wonder what, he was 39. I'll be 39 this November. Oh my goodness. Uh, and I wonder sometimes if he had had the chance to, to escape. And he was, he was, he was executed just weeks before he was. the camps were liberated. It's right. really a tragedy. And had he survived, I sometimes wonder what kind of contributions he would have made mm. to the world of theology. He already is think, thought of as a really advanced theologian of his time, really kind of mm. foreseeing the the sort of what you might the downfall, I suppose, of what we might call institutional Christianity, the rigidly hierarchical and rigidly uh, religious style of of Christianity, and starting to imagine what what faith and discipleship might look like after the crumbling of Christendom, right? Absolutely. Anyway, I'm so thankful. Well, I, lo- I love Bonhoeffer. I'm glad well, you do too. And I do. And, and that's what I, that's my last reading of the day. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Um, and that last year was Martin Luther. Uh-huh. And so I'll probably read Bonhoeffer again. Oh, good. Yeah. Because there's much that I don't understand, but I do um, think of his words mm-hmm. that are so well chosen. Mm-hmm. And the, the kindness that he has mm-hmm. shows mm-hmm. through these, mm-hmm. uh, through his writings mm-hmm. is just amazing. Yeah, and courage. Yes. I'm always amazed that he had the chance to stay in the, he was in the United States. I think you knew this. Twice. And and at the time when things started to look really bad for mm-hmm. uh, for Germany. Right. And had, the cho- he, had he made the choice, he could have probably stayed in the United States. Exactly. As an expatriate and missed the height of the crisis, but he chose to go back. He said he needed to be with his people in the yeah. time of crisis. And the the amazing thing too to me is that the uh, rapport that he built mm-hmm. with in prison. Yes. And so positive. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's just amazing that yeah. he can stay this yeah. positive. Yes. And I think we have to think of this during their COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. Is our attitude, mm. our positive, to be positive. Mm. To stay kind. Mm. Um, you've you've already started to answer my second question that I was going to ask you, which well, is the second question I always ask my guests, a larger picture question, which is to say that, you know, in times of crisis like this one that we all experience together, there's certainly a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty and maybe justifiably some fear and some grief. But if we were all to emerge from this particular mm-hmm. time of crisis better off. And I know that that's not guaranteed. I know that there's a lot of, a great deal of loss and, 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 um, and fear, uh, and, and maybe some bad behavior too here and there. Um, but if we were all to sort of emerge stronger or, um, or better off for it, what would that look like to you in your mind? You've already said, maybe we can keep our hope or keep our hope, keep our kindness, our positivity. Well, how would you imagine, what would that look like for all of us? I think we, it, it's almost like um, a cocoon becoming a butterfly. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, oh, so we're in a cocoon right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but it, it's going to get better. Okay. And um, um, who knows what, what the end result will be. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Or how long it'll take to get exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. But it... Um, we have to remain positive. Mm. And I, I really, really realize this is difficult for our children. 
for our parents. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they'll become stronger because of it. Yeah, I hope so. And I think there are new ideas emerging all the time mm -hmm. that are, are helping people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it gives us resilience. Wonderful. But it also, there's comfort. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even though there's anger, and that's understandable, mm -hmm. and why is this happening to me mm -hmm. at this point? There are many questions that are un, unanswered, mm -hmm. but there are many questions that we can answer. Mm. Uh, but we, and I, I'm really, really proud of the all the creativeness that mm -hmm. has come about because of this. Mm. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been necessary. And right? We've had to. Exactly, and I see mm -hmm. that with you with what you're doing hmm. uh, for our church. Hmm. I never dreamed that I'd be watching Church sermon. online. No. Who knew? No. Who knew? If you had told me five years ago that I would be doing exclusively online ministry for the time being, I would have wondered what on earth you could be talking about. No, I, I just am amazed. I really am. And I'm yeah. so proud or pleased that we have the technology hmm. to do it. Is hmm. uh, though. Somebody foresaw that we would need it at some point. Wow. It's just... Yeah, I'm grateful. Sometimes I do think of the, of the congregations during the Spanish flu 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how on earth did they stay yeah. in touch with each other. Uh, and I, and they I, didn't have this. No. And I think, you know, we've... we've uh, when I read some of the books that I've ordered for our, the, the library, mm -hmm. especially the, for my school was Florence Pope Elementary mm -hmm. School, and I think of a, a certain book where the children are left because of the plague. Hmm. And they're left to fend for themselves. Mm -hmm. But somehow, but they get through it. Hmm. And I think of our children now. Hmm. Uh, this, they're, they're faced with many difficulties. Hmm. But they have the comfort, hopefully, of their parents and their home hmm. that's getting them through this. Mm -hmm. But um, I think some of it will be forgotten, mm -hmm. and some of it they will remember. Yes. Yeah, and, and ch children are really helpful. I don't know. It's, it, children are quite resilient. We know that. And Absolutely. So for all the fears that I have, especially for students who may have more difficulty adapting to a different model of school, who may have fewer supports, or who may have unique needs that uh, may or may not be able to be accommodated in the meantime, or it, maybe people won't, I don't know. I, I do worry about all the unique needs that, especially young people, but right. everyone has yes. during this time. Yes. Everybody's individual circumstances are really brought to bear on their, on their lives. But I do hope that, that students are able to learn new skills, they're able to learn new, new technological uh, routes mm -hmm. for learning. I, I, I just, I think of Alex and this is her first year in school. This is kindergarten for her and she knows no different. And so there is a small mercy in that, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her and, and watching her adapt to this new way of right. doing school and thinking, wow, this is never meant to be this way. And yet I, I think that, I think it's maybe working in a way. Absolutely. So uh, anyway, my hope is that you're, that you're right, that some of it will be in the past, and we'll say good riddance, right? Glad we don't exactly. have to stick with that. And then the, the rest of it will be hopefully a, a hopeful, strengthening memory. 
And, and one of the things that I've really, really appreciated is the, the way that people are helping each other. Mm-hmm. And that the, the children are coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are selling something mm-hmm. or they've uh, made stars or whatever mm-hmm. and they're putting them in a jar. Mm-hmm. And, and these are for sale mm-hmm. and they're giving the money away. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not keeping it for themselves. Yeah. They're already taking care of somebody else. Yeah. And this is what we need to be thinking of. Mm-hmm. How do I care for the other person? Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. And um, That's wonderful. Yeah, attentiveness to the other. That has come up over and over and over again. That we were for, kind of... For, there's there's a, a way in which, you know, a, a crisis can turn us inward and, and cause us to worry more about ourselves. There's also a way in which it opens up the world around us mm-hmm. and, and allows us to see the need it, it that's does. universal and yeah. that, that others have that we can right. help meet. Yeah. Thank you. What a wonderful response. Thanks. Um, you know, what we like to do also in this podcast is to take a look at the upcoming gospel for Sunday and have some conversation around that since we haven't had a chance to do Bible study in groups no. very well. Uh, uh, we've got a chance to do that now. Uh, so um, I'll read the gospel, Evelyn, and then we'll have some conversation around the three questions we use in Bible study. Okay, good. Um, this Sunday's gospel is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. Matthew 21, 23 to 32. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. <laughs> it's a tough one. The first question I have yes. is that he was asked a question. Yes. But he then said, he re- reversed it in a way uh-huh. and said, I am going to ask you the question yes 
So the, uh, and that's a technique that's sometimes used. Oh, yes. Yeah, Jesus very rarely answers questions directly, uh, especially if they're disingenuous questions. I mean, I think that the thing that I noticed, the first question, by the way, that we ask ourselves in Bible study is, what do you notice? What stands out to you mm -hmm. in this passage? And the first thing that I noticed is that he doesn't, he doesn't answer the question. No, he's, in other words, why do you ask? Uh-huh. That's right. He's, he's, I think you're right. I think he's aware that the motives of the elders and the chief priests, who of course are uh, representatives of the establishment, right? These are authorities. These but, are people in power. And I, he knew why they were asking. Yes, absolutely. This and, is not a, an earnest question. No, but I, I remember uh, even in our own home, hmm. with the boys or whatever, Rodney would say, well, why do you ask? Hmm. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think. Clarify your thinking, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And in this case, of course, their their question is intended to undermine him. It's a question about authority. Yes. You know, who do you think you are, well, Jesus? Is, and that that's an interesting word, mm -hmm. authority. Mm -hmm. And I think it implies a lot of meanings. Yes. And um, so it's probably on their, it's obviously on their mind. Absolutely. Well, because Jesus presents a threat. Exactly. Right. It's, it goes to credibility. What's your authority? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so they're questioning him. Yeah. Why are you speaking that way? Or, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. I agree with you. Why, yeah. What is the authority? Or on which basis are you speak, speaking? Absolutely. And, of course, as, as you know, the representatives of the status quo, their, their authority is not in question at all. Or is it, right? So then the, the question here becomes... Who exercises true authority in this ongoing, really tense debate between who you might call the representatives of the status quo and Jesus, who, of course, as we know, we're insiders, right? We get to hear the story from the beginning. We know that he is, is doing the will of God. We know that he is the beloved child of God. Mm -hmm. uh, but he certainly goes about it in a way. I mean, his ministry is, is anything but standard, right? This is a, this is a poor peasant from a backwater town in a marginal part of, right. of the Roman empire, certainly not near Jerusalem. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a country bumpkin, right? Exactly. So w what on earth would you have to teach us? We are the learned uh, representatives of official religion here. Well, and I think they were hoping that perhaps he would say, well, you're the, in the authority. Mm, interesting. Well, it certainly is a debate about, they're certainly flexing their muscles here. But we don't have, our, we don't have to question our authority, but no. we can certainly question your authority. Exactly. By what authority? Who, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And of course, then he turns the table. But, Wonderful. And, and I think this is a, a question that is constantly asked. Absolutely. By which authority do mm -hmm. you speak? Mm -hmm. Yep. How much... Education do you have? What, mm -hmm. Where did you go to school, mm -hmm. right? Uh, how long have you, how long have you been in the career that you currently right. occupy? You know, do, what you know, what do you have any any data to support your views? These are all questions we ask these questions all the time, right? What, we do. How how legitimate are you right. on the basis of some authority? Yep. Do you do you have more authority than I have? Absolutely. Yep. And so there's definitely this this wrestling this. Uh, yes. struggle for power yes. absolutely no question well and it, the natural outcome of course of these interactions between the religious elite 
who are, by the way, in bed with the political and social elite. It's really difficult for us. We think of the church or religion as being kind of separate in a lot of ways from from political or social mm-hmm. life in in our day and age. But at this at this time, although they are of course uh, intertwined in our time too. But in this day and age, there is no really there is no separating religious and political and social power. It's all of a piece, right? If you if you're part of the temple establishment in Jerusalem, you're sort of part of the machine that is the Roman imperial occupation. You only function, you only exercise power as representatives of the temple because the emperor allows mm-hmm. you to, gives you that freedom. And, you know, you, you assess tithes on top of King Herod's taxes, on top of the Roman emperor's taxes. So you're, you're, part, of the, you're part of the elite in general. That's true. And Jesus represents the people. He represents the commoner. Uh, so therein lies this really important distinction. And, and it ends up costing him his life, right? He, it does. And, and you know, they, it's, as you said, this is this new person mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. who's coming in and saying, I am an authority, mm-hmm. but are, by whose authority are you? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very common question. Yes. In our, even in our daily lives. Absolutely. He also... I love the way that he unveils he unveils for the religious elites the real heart of the matter for them. But he doesn't do it by saying, "Well, what do you say? Am I am I coming from God or am I just some guy who's, you know, spouting off on my own?" Mm-hmm. He goes back and refers to John. He says, yes. "You remember John's baptism? Remember how compelling that was and how people came from everywhere to be right. baptized?" Hear him. Uh, for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's true. You know, w- w- what authority did John exercise, right? That that He sort of turns the table and says, well, what, what about this other instance here? And they, of course, realize, oh, they're stuck. Because if if they say from heaven, then they should have paid attention, right? They should have, mm-hmm. uh, they should have, if they thought that John was actually a prophet, then they should have paid attention to him. They didn't, right? If... They say that he doesn't have divine authority, John, that is. Then they're at risk of alienating the crowds because, of course, the crowds love John. So he sort of uh, strips away some of their assumptions, I think, there and and causes them to actually look long and hard at this question of power and authority. And, of course, they give the answer, we do not know, which I would love to affirm them for that. I'd love to say, that's a great answer. (laughs) To, when you don't know the answer, just say so. I don't know. Uh, but I uh, fear that they're they're just really non-committal. They're just really trying not to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it's a, an earnest uh, wondering that they have there. But well, and I, I find it very interesting that he does refer to John. Yes. And he he doesn't refer to himself. That's right. Yep. And of course, we know again this in this story's kind of arc that John is the forerunner of Christ. Right. He's the one who proclaims. That Christ is on the way. That's He's the, true. the forerunner, the one who announces, he, he paves, makes the way. Paves yep. the way for yep. them. For That's him. right. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, wonderful. Lots of richness in this text. There this, is. Um, and there, there's a lot to think about. Yes. It, which reminds me uh, of the second question that we ask of the Bible always, but when we're studying the Bible together, it's what questions do you have? Is there anything lingering for you that you don't understand or that bothers you? What questions do you have for this text? The, the question that I have is that 
first of all, it's the um, the, the the group that questions him. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's in the temple. He's teaching. Or maybe he's preaching, mm-hmm. and yet they come up and say, "Now, why are you here? Or do we need to listen to you?" Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, the fact that they're, they're not sure. Yeah. And they want to, sh- they want a proof. Yes. And you can't always give proof. That's right. Well, and you're you're kind of getting back to that. The question. This is the related question that I have: Is what what's going on in the minds of the religious authorities here? You know what? Often they appear simply, kind of as a flat character, as opponents of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're just opponents of Jesus, and so they're opponents of the way of the kingdom of God. But if they really are rounder characters than that, is there? There's certainly some anxiety simmering here. There's certainly a desire to sort of undermine Jesus one way or another, but is there any curiosity there? Is is there is there could it possibly be that by what authority is there's an ink maybe there's just a, a just a tiny tiny bit of earnestness there. Maybe they really are curious. Yeah, what's what's their motivation, I think is a good that's question. True. That's yeah. true. That's absolutely yeah. true. In other, in other words, why do you even ask? Yeah. Which comes back to what we were talking about right. at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, a question that I have is these this is sort of two parts in this gospel. There's the one part, which is the sort of this witty banter, this sparring between mm-hmm. Jesus and the religious elites. And then he goes and he tells this, you know, really brief kind of parable to make a point about integrity, right? Or about truth. And he tells the two, the parable about the man with the two sons. The one son says he's going to go into the vineyard and then doesn't. And then the second son says he won't, but then he does go. Which one is the one who knows the truth or who has pleased his father? Of course, it's the one that actually follows through, regardless of what he said. So it raises this question for me of like public, public honor and shame. The one who says, yes, father, I'll do whatever you ask. But then he doesn't, he doesn't follow through in private. And then the one who says, no, I'm not in the mood. I'm not going to do what you say, but then follows through. So it raises a question for me about what's more important, sort of public uh, saving face publicly or having integrity integrity privately? Uh, That's a great question for us, too, I think. I mean, a lot of the times we don't show our true face to the world. We show the world what we think the world wants to see, whether it's respectability or um, strength and I wonder how that relates to our, our true selves in private. Well I think the first son uh, is probably thinking this is not something I really want to do hmm. and there there's something that maybe is holding him back yeah or he's he has some reasons sure for saying no mm-hmm. um, and we don't know what those reasons are. Yeah. But there's something that's telling him, yeah. don't do this. Yeah. And, and he's even willing to tell his father that. Yes. Yeah. And he's very outspoken or, mm-hmm. or just says, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, in a way, that is also going against what the authority says. Uh-huh. Because we think of the 
father as being the authority. Yes. Or, or an authority figure, you know, mm -hmm. in your home or... Mm -hmm. But uh, but there's some compelling reason, maybe, mm -hmm. that the son is not going to do that. Yeah. And the other son is willing to do it without questioning. Or at least say that he's going to do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. And... Do we know if he really did or didn't? But he he did go out, or said that he was leaving. The the second one never does go. He, he says he's gonna go, and then he doesn't. He doesn't go. Yeah. So, which one really does have the strongest character? Right. That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. It uh, there is some speculation too that this is an ancient parable that Matthew picks up on here that that uh, and he puts in the mouth of Jesus and. And that would have been the answer. It is surprising, actually, because the in the ancient context, apparently, public honor and shame was much more important than private honor and shame, or private integrity, okay. or lack thereof. So, it, so actually, the right answer in the original context might have been actually the second son is the one who does the will of his father because he says out loud in public that he's going to, mm -hmm. which is an interesting way to think about it. That. That in, in that context, saving face and appearing to be the dutiful child was more important than actually being the dutiful child. And I think this is often a characteristic that we have. Hmm. You you want to save face, hmm. um, whether or not you really believe it. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And of course, then Jesus hits the nail on the head by saying... You're like the second son. You, you religious elites are like the second son. You appear to have it all together. You are, you are, you know, the official, mm -hmm. uh, the official representatives of religion, and of course, by extension, politics and economics. Uh, but you don't actually get it. The 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 ones who appear to be outside of God's concern, the tax collector, the, the prostitute. In other words, the ones that you've deemed to be impure or undeserving, those are the ones who are, gonna, who are going to be affirmed by God sooner because they understand. They, they're the ones who are actually doing the will of God by acknowledging the truth of John's proclamation. Wow. And they have, somehow they have the understanding. Yes. And yet you compare them to the priests Mm -hmm. And those who are mm -hmm. uh, intellectually yep. able to... Who have the training, right? Exactly. Who've been called, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, and the tax collector has not been called, or the prostitute is at the bottom of the list. That's right. Okay. At least in the eyes of the religious elites, yeah. Yeah, they, they would have nothing to do with them, probably. Yes. But Jesus can see, through, can see right through exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think this is a comfort for each one of us mm. in our own personalities, mm -hmm. the characteristics that we have, yeah. and it gives us the hope mm -hmm. that no matter what, he sees us as uh, in our true self. True, yes. And accepts us. Beautiful. That is a lovely it's implication. A lo it's yeah. a gift yeah. that yeah. we have. Yeah, the, the fact that Jesus can see beneath the exterior, he can see beneath the framework that we've sort of publicly built one way or another, and can see dignity where others might not see dignity, mm -hmm. can see worth, can see faithfulness where others might not see those things. That's right. 
beautiful. It also is a really strong impediment to judgment, right? I, yes, I'm less likely yes. to judge others when I remember this story because lo and behold, when it comes time to enter the kingdom of heaven, whenever that is, when Jesus returns, uh, or before, uh, who is it who I might not expect to be going, to be a farther in front of the line, in, in front of me in the line, mm-hmm. than I, that I wouldn't expect? It's helpful for me to remember that, that the possibility is I might not actually have the whole picture. And I might be uh, surprised by That's who true. I discover uh, go, walking into, walking through the gate of the kingdom of heaven before mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned the word judgment. Hmm. Because I think it would be, I, I would expect this of the priests mm-hmm. and, and uh, the more educated people mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And the person who's at the bottom mm-hmm. is so thankful for what. Mm-hmm probably has mm-hmm. the gifts that he has Absolutely. Or, or she has mm-hmm. and not judgmental mm-hmm. uh, they accept what they have absolutely the, well so you're, you're you're also speaking to the character directly to the character of Jesus right Jesus is the one who can see the person for who they are so yes. I think of Zacchaeus for instance as right. a prime example of the tax collector who is despised by his neighbors is. And yet seen for who he truly is by yes. Jesus and who experiences conversion and salvation as a result yeah, of his encounter. Uh, how, how can each of us see ourselves? This leads me to my last question, which is, you know, what will you take for today from this scripture? How does this word become flesh for you? And I can, I'll give you my answer first. You've really spoken to it powerfully, which is how, how can I see through Jesus' eyes? Is it possible for me, when I set aside my own agenda, my own categories for people, right? My own sense of my own, you know, if, I, if I'm concerned with my own honor, my own integrity, how can I set that aside for once and see through Jesus' eyes to see uh, the, the hearts of people who I might write off otherwise? You know, I, I really think the word is, that the word that comes to me is humility. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I, I hear again, I come back to my mother mm-hmm. and my father too, but especially my mother who came with nothing mm. um, except a piece of linen that she had woven with her aunt in Poland. Wow. And that was what she brought with her. And it's still within our family. Mm-hmm. And, but she was, Really, uh, my parents taught me kindness mm. and to be humble mm-hmm. no matter what and not to judge mm. uh, or try not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we can speak about others mm. until we sometimes search ourselves. Mm. And um, I'm remembering something about a log in my eye and a and a speck in someone else's eye. <laughs> Exactly. You put your finger on it. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And to, to try to reach out. Mm. But but Jesus didn't judge. Mm. Or if he did, he judged rightly. Yes. Right? And, and his judgment certainly didn't look like the judgments mm-hmm. that others might. No. But I mean, his words are there mm-hmm. for us to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thankful. It, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. What a, what a rich text. There's a lot here, and there's a lot that's challenging about it. Oh, yes. uh, I'm grateful, I should say, I'm grateful 
to the bishop of our synod, Bishop Rick Jake, uh, for his sermon that he has prepared for this weekend that I'm going to get to read uh, in place of my own preaching. But I've had, I've had the privilege of having a rich conversation with you, Evelyn. But we'll get a chance to hear what the bishop thinks about this very difficult text. I look forward to this that. This Sunday uh, in online worship, uh, online Holy Communion, this Sunday at 9.30 on Facebook Live. Good. Evelyn Swenson, I'm so grateful for your insights and for your time on this 28th uh, episode of our church's podcast. Thank you. It was my privilege. And thank you all for listening. Until next week.